0: It's a football Friday in the Steel City. You know, it's just like so exciting. I'm Austin Bexel with you this morning. As it is football eve eve for Steeler fans all across the country, all across the world. As the Steelers will be in action on Sunday at Krishore Stadium against the San Francisco 49ers, the team that was in the NFC Championship game last season, a team that was undefeated with Brock Purdy until he went down in said NFC Championship game against the Philadelphia Eagles in what could have been a very competitive game, but ended up with Philadelphia steamrolling San Francisco due to injuries and San Francisco basically not having a quarterback. And the reason why the third quarterback rule is... Now, in effect, for an emergency quarterback. But it all began last night with the Detroit Lions and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I, me, as well as probably a lot of people, went into it saying that there is a very, very likely any chance that the Chiefs at home, even despite Travis Kelsey, Lose a game to the Detroit Lions. Because remember, it's the Detroit Lions. I know last year they went on a roll at the very end of the season. They did start 1-6. Dan Campbell, the year before that, went a very long time without winning his first game for the organization. And the biting kneecaps persona seemed like it was all a gimmick. Well, the Lions are not a gimmick. The Lions, I don't want to say they're for real in terms of a Super Bowl contender. But the Lions are a for real NFL team. They should not be taken lightly anymore. And the Lions have earned our respect. The Lions have earned my respect. To be able to go out there, it's not easy to go to Arrowhead. We know the success that Patrick Mahomes has early on in the season. He doesn't lose at home. I mean, he just doesn't. Especially in openers. I think it's the first opening matchup of the season that Patrick Mahomes has ever lost. First game of the year. To be able to do that and have the notion that, yeah, you are the Detroit Lions. And yeah, you have let people down before. And you typically, if there's high expectations, do you typically live up to them? And you could just tell from the get go the Lions were ready to play. They were ready to go. And a lot of credit has to be given to Dan Campbell and the offensive line of the Lions. I mean, that team is physical and will get after you at the point of attack on the offensive side of the ball as well as the defensive side of the ball. And honestly, it's just old school football. Smash mouth football. They want to run the ball first. Play off of play action for Jared Goff, who again, when Jared Goff was traded from the Rams to the Lions in the Matthew Stafford deal, it was kind of a throw in. The Rams wanted to get that contract off the books. Sean McVay was tired of Jared Goff. Yeah, he has some limitations. He also did some good things. He got him to the Super Bowl. I that Stafford won the Super Bowl for the Rams, but still, Jared Goff did a lot of great things during at least the early portion of his career with the Rams and was traded over to the Lions. A couple of picks were also exchanged. So you could see it as a win-win deal for both sides. I mean, man, the Lions with Jameer Gibbs, who was a pick that, you know, maybe went a little bit higher than people anticipated him to be middle of the first round where he probably was a back end of the first round, really second round type of running back. He played pretty well in his NFL debut. Smash mouth football type of guy. Seven carries, 42 yards, and a long of 18. Had the longest rush out of anybody who carried the football on either side. But Jared Goff, 22 of 35, 253 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. He was sacked once. It was only a three-yard loss. Is it far-fetched to say that Jared Goff was the best quarterback on the field yesterday? Probably. It doesn't help that on the other side, Patrick Mahomes, 21-39, of over 200 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. He had fewer yards than Goff. Also had an interception, which Jared Goff did not have. Detroit ran for more yards. They threw for more yards. But that could have easily been avoided because the Kansas City Chiefs were exposed. Patrick Mahomes is great. He's fantastic. But this is not the Buffalo Bills that they faced off against. This is not the San Diego. This is not the San Diego slash L.A. Chargers with Justin Herbert who can exploit any type of defense. This is not the Cincinnati Bengals who typically have the the Chiefs number other than last year to get to the Super Bowl. This was the Lions with a much improved defense. I like Jack Campbell at middle linebacker. They have Cam Sutton, Brian Branch, a name that should be familiar to Steeler fans from Alabama. Somebody that was a target at 32 for the Steelers, maybe even at 17 before the Steelers traded up to get Broderick Jones at 14. He had a 50-yard interception Back to the end zone, a pick six, third pick six of Mahomes' career. And also, part of it is the Lions receivers made big plays. Josh Reynolds, four catches for 80 yards. I'm on Ross St. Brown, the first touchdown of the season in the NFL. Six catches, 71 yards. Samuel Porter, their tight end, five grabs for 39. Khalif Raymond had a 20-yard grab. And the Kansas City wide receivers, Without Travis Kelsey, look, to use a Mike Tomlin term, JV rather than varsity. They didn't even look JV. They were the freshman team out there. They were backups on the freshman team. Marcos Valdez-Scanling, two grabs for 48 yards. Justin Watson, two catches, 45 yards. Watson, a South Fayette native. South Fayette grab. Won the Super Bowl last season. Noah Gray had three catches for 31 yards. Isaiah Pacheco, four catches, 31 yards. Hmm, so, who is not on that list? Well, Juju Smith-Schuster is no longer here, now in New England, nursing a little bit of injury problems and injury concerns. Sky Moore, who's a high draft pick, Shady Side Academy guy, whippy old guy, Sky Moore, Western Michigan, another guy who was potentially rumored to be going to the Steelers in the last season's draft. He didn't have a catch. Sky Moore did not have a grab. Kadarius Toney, he had one catch for a yard. I mean, those were supposed to be two of the biggest guys in this offense outside of Travis Kelsey. And now, at the same time, when you look at it, this game can say a lot about the Detroit Lions. And also say a lot about the Chiefs at the same time. I think it says more about the Lions than Kansas City. Because you also have to factor in that Kelsey did not play. And the expectation, as it was said in the NBC broadcast last night, is that Kelsey, their Chiefs are optimistic that he will be able to give it a go coming up next week. So this could just be a one-week absence for Kelsey. If the Chiefs played on Sunday instead of a short week on Thursday, because he was injured in practice on Tuesday, maybe he would have been able to suit up, even if it was in a limited capacity. Having a Kelsey on the team for the Chiefs, having Kelsey out there, is clearly better than no Kelsey. Mahomes didn't look right. He looked uncomfortable. Not having Kelsey as his security blanket over the middle of the field. Plus the second season without Tyree Kill, big play, explosive guy. But the difference between the Lions receivers, another difference compared to the Chiefs receivers, the Lions receivers made big plays in big moments. <laughs> the Chiefs shriveled in them. Sky Moore, multiple drops, third down drops. Kidarius Tony had so many drops. It was awful. It was so bad. That in the middle of the game, the PM team fantasy team with Chris Muller, Andrew Filipponi, and Donnie Football cut Kadarius Toney from their team. Malzi was saying how much he loves his fantasy team, the defending champions in our fantasy league. And yeah, they cut Kadarius Toney in the middle of the third quarter. Might have been the fourth, but regardless, the middle of the game and you cut him. He had one grab. For a yard, Skymore didn't have any catches, and it's not like they weren't targeted. I mean, they were trying to—they were trying to get the ball to both guys. Skymore had three targets. Kadarius Tony had five targets. Five target, eight targets, and they combined for one catch. So this says more really about the lack of explosiveness, and the lack of production, maybe the lack of proven commodities on the Chiefs than anything, especially without Kelsey. If Kelsey's not there, it's a completely different offense. It's a completely different team. Patrick Mahomes is, you know, he does alien-like things, but he's not an actual alien from a planet that you want a made-up planet, planet bling blower, let's call it, something made up with a weird name. Mahomes might act like he is somebody from a far, far away universe, but if guys can't catch the football, there's nothing he can do. He can't throw it and catch it and run with it at the exact same time. So I feel for Sky Moore being a whippy old guy. Two whippy old guys in that Chiefs receiving core, which is really cool. Both Super Bowl winners from last season. Sky Moore in his rookie year. But Kadarius Tony, man, it did not look good. If there would be any concern over the two, I saw some people pointing to Sky Moore he should be more concerned about. Kadarius Tony. just the, the thing that has stuck into my mind with Tony, there were concerns with him in the locker room with the Giants, and there were drops when he was a very high draft pick out of Florida. Then they traded him away to the Chiefs during the season last year. But also Sky Moore. I mean, those are balls that he should catch. Balls that were right there that Mahomes put it on him. He just did not make the play. That's a very. This is very alarming if you're a Chiefs fan. Because, yes, you're going to get Kelsey back. Mahomes had a ball that was tipped. It was off the hands of Tony right off of his hands. Really should have caught it. And it went into the hands of Brian Branch for a 50-yard pick six. That was part of how Detroit scored. Now, another critical moment of the game was fourth down for the Lions, fourth and two. They decided to go for it at the Kansas City 40-yard line. And instead of running the ball, Dan Campbell right away looked at his offense and yelled, go, as you can see on the NBC broadcast. Panned right at Dan Campbell. And the Lions decide to throw for it, even though they have what could be a top-five offensive line in football this year. David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. Gibbs, who they used a first-round pick on. Montgomery, they gave a pretty chunk of change, to to come over from the division rival Chicago Bears. They throw it. The ball gets batted down at the line on a play that eh, maybe would not have even gone for a touchdown, gone for a first down. How about Brian Branch, the first Lions player with a pick-six, and his NFL start since 1967. Uh, watching back the Chiefs and Lions game right now. The NFL Network's playing it. But back to the point at, at hand, the Lions didn't get it. The Chiefs got the ball back. And Mahomes had a chance to basically put this one on ice. Ball at Jerome 40. Over two minutes left. All three timeouts, a two-minute warning. All he needs is a field goal. Typically, if that's what happens and you don't get a first down, if you're the Lions and you did get one, you need to get two first downs. One to continue to get the clock rolling, let the two-minute warning go by, and then the Chiefs timeouts, and then one more to just solidify everything. They didn't get it. The ball back into the hands of the wizard himself, Mahomes. And they didn't get it. They didn't do anything. Mahomes, on a deep play, To Kadarius Toney, who was absolutely wide open. You could stand him in the middle of the Arizona desert. In the middle of a place that has just, in the middle of Iowa with cornfields surrounding him. No other defenders even close. And Kadarius Toney dropped the football. Another play that he should have made. A catch that he should have had. It would have gone for over a 20-yard gain. And it would have put Kansas City in great field position to win the game. So, drop, made it 2nd and 10. Next play, holding penalty on the left tackle. Jones, who got a lot of penalties last year, protecting Tom Brady. And eventually, it got to 4th and 20. The Chiefs decide to go for it. And finally, and I mean finally, the referees decided to do something about Jawan Taylor, the right tackle for the Chiefs who, if it was a running play, started on the line of scrimmage. If it was a passing play, I'm not kidding. Jawan Taylor would line up the right tackle for the Chiefs who's going up against Aiden Hutchinson, former number two overall pick from Michigan to the Lions last year. Fantastic player, now starting his second year. He'd literally start about a yard and a half, maybe just a yard, off the line of scrimmage. That's illegal. He was basically standing further back, closer to Mahomes, so that he could start his pass blocking earlier and have a significant advantage against Aiden Hutchinson. NBC rules analyst Terry McCauley spoke on it. In the middle of the broadcast, that's how big of a concern that it was compared to everything else that was going on. And here is what here is what Terry McCauley The NBC rules analyst for NBC had to say about it. Is he legal or not? Sure, Mike. To be on the line, his helmet has to break the waistline of the center. And to be honest, we've watched him the whole game. He's really not remotely close. uh, And it's really putting the defensive end at a tremendous disadvantage when he can be that far back. A tremendous disadvantage. Now, if you did not see the play at hand that I'm referring to, or not even – just one play multiple different instances where this was the case Jawan Taylor I mean if NFL tackles are going to get away with this everybody's going to try it like some of these pictures for example I'm looking at one right now let's say the ball is placed at the 35 yard line and that's where the center is snapping the ball okay typically the other linemen are going to be eh, about a half yard off the ball maybe at the 34 if they're moving, if the if the offense is moving right to left. If that's the case, Jones was standing at like literally the 33, the 32 and a half, and it was severely noticeable. Severely noticeable. Let's call it the 33, about two yards off the ball. And it made for something that just, A, was not right for the offense to be able to get away with. And two, for any opposing defense, how are you going to potentially try to stop that? Like, literally, he's so far back in the stance, and he's still getting an early jump because he's watching the football and right away knows when the head knock comes from the center. He's starting. He's starting to rock back. He's already starting his move back to Mahomes in the pass protection. And it was so difficult to defend for the Lions that literally they got barely any pressure on that side. Well, fourth down and twenty. It was finally called because it was just so blatant and obvious that Taylor moved before even before the snap. It was about a second before the snap, instead of like a half second before, which was not being called in the first place. They made it fourth and twenty-five. The Chiefs, with three timeouts of the two minute warning, decide to go for it. And they don't get it. And Detroit gets one first down and runs out the clock. What a way to begin the NFL season. It's the greatest reality show in the country, in the world. The NFL is the greatest reality show on earth because you don't know what to expect. You think you do. And then whenever you think could happen, the opposite happens on any given Sunday or on NFL kickoff Thursday. The Wake Up Show is presented by 84 Lumber. Put your positive attitude to work at 84 Lumber. Apply at 84Lumber.com. Last night. James Franklin on his weekly radio show said something that makes you think that maybe the Pitt and Penn State rivalry will come back. Is that the interpretation that you had? I'll tell you what Franklin had to say. Coming up next, I'm Austin Bechel on the Fan Early Morning Show. Oh, we're waking up on a football Friday. I'm Austin Bechel with you. It's the Fan Early Morning Show. So, James Franklin and the boys from Happy Valley. Well, after Pat Narduzzi came on these airways to address a potential Pitt Penn State renewing of the rivalry, James Franklin has now weighed in on the Pitt Penn State scheduling, or really the lack thereof of the Pitt Penn State scheduling of a football game from my friend Carl Ludwig at Pittsburgh Sports Now, my colleague at Pittsburgh Sports Now, a colleague. Asked Franklin on Thursday night, it was his weekly radio show, if there was a chance that Penn State would renew the series against Pitt, West Virginia, and Syracuse was also thrown in there, in the near future. So Franklin did not sound really interested in scheduling, according to Carl, and any out-of-conference rivals pretty much at this point in time. And he said, quote, the more conference games you play and the less regional the conferences are, then those games become more and more challenging, Franklin said. I mean, that's pretty true. Quote, and then you have to see, do they make sense? Well, the fan followed up by saying that, you know, regional rivalries could help fill Beaver Stadium. Don't know if that's the case. But again, Franklin or main tentative. That shouldn't dictate whether we play them, Franklin said. If it's the right thing to do for our conference, if it's the right thing to do for Penn State, then I'm more than open to doing it. I think our ADs can get a conversation, get on a call, and talk about it. Now, you got to remember that Pat Kraft is the new AD at Penn State. Been there for just a, over a year now so it's a different situation than in previous times when the Pitt and Penn State rivalry was last scheduled and last played. So when it comes to the Pitt and Penn State games, Franklin brought up attendance, which is often brought up by the Penn State side. And whether or not it would be a fair exchange, quote unquote, that makes sense from the Penn State perspective. He said, quote, the thing I do know is when we went and played at Pitt, it was the second largest, if not the largest, sporting event in the history of Heinz Field. And I don't think you can buy a Penn State single-game ticket unless you bought their season tickets. And I know a lot of Penn State fans that did do that. So it was a very difficult deal. For us, it was an increase of 2,000 fans. To me, it needs to be an even exchange. It needs to make sense. But I think our AD should get on the phone and work it out. Now, that, is, that last part is something. But I think our AD should get on the phone and work it out. It's been seemingly the case that James Franklin has been hesitant for this rivalry to be played. And that, you know, the ball is kind of in his court. And that it's up to the Penn State administration. And James Franklin is a big call that this game is not being played. That's what a lot of people have said. And that's pretty much what Pat Narduzzi insinuated by saying when he talked to Pony and Muller a couple weeks ago. Quote, you'd have to ask James Franklin. My call is, let's go. We've called. We've asked. So Franklin's saying, I think our AD should get on the phone and work it out. Well, clearly Pitt's called and Pitt is asking. So I'm fully on Pitt's side here. I think, you know, Penn State is the one that does not want the game to be played. I don't know if James Franklin truly means that the AD should get on the phone and work it out. I don't think he wants the game played. I think Pat Narduzzi wants it played. Narduzzi is a competitor. He is somebody who has... Jonathan Gannon said in that video with the Arizona Cardinals we talked about earlier this week on the morning show, he has that fire in his belly. He has that will to win. And he doesn't care who's on the other side. Narduzzi's up for the challenge. And I respect that. I really do, from Pat Narduzzi. And, you know, Narduzzi mentioned how he knows Pat Kraft, he likes Pat Kraft, the AD at Penn State. So maybe this is something that gets done. But non-conference schedules have already been worked out a lot of them down the line for five, seven years, at least a couple of games. And with conference realignment continuing to shift everything around, this this is just going to be so difficult to make happen. To the point where I hope at some point you just have a pit, Penn State, WVU facing off against each other every year. Rotate Cincinnati in there as well. Because, I mean, this conference realignment crap is going to continue to just make things all over the place and spiral it. and I mean, who knows what's going to be the next result. But this game needs to be played. And I don't know if it's just PR talk from Franklin. It probably is. I mean, does James Franklin really believe this? I don't think so. It would be an increase in 2,000 fans. That's true. Penn State sells out Beaver Stadium all the time. They're going to get 100,000 fans at most games. If Pitt's there, they're going to get 110,000. They had the fourth-largest crowd for West Virginia and Beaver Stadium history. I mean, that's what Pitt's going to draw, too. So it helps Pitt out more than it does help out Penn State. If they can figure out a way for the tickets to not be a season ticket and make it a single game, even if it is a little bit more expensive. Okay, just make the game happen. I mean, it's just a bunch of ridiculousness that this thing is held up the way it is, all because you're not in the same conference and all the money involved. And college football is becoming so corporate. It's just wild. But it's the reality of football these days. It sucks. It's terrible. I don't like it. But that's just the way that it is right now. And it's going to take probably Penn State giving in a little bit. I know. I would imagine that Heather Lake, in the conversations that I've had with her previously and working basketball games, would be very willing and probably wanting to have these conversations. And as said, we've called, we've asked. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's see if this gets going. Final thoughts coming up on the Steelers. Fan early morning show. I'm Austin Bechtel with you. Sports Radio 937 The Fam. I'm a very excited. You know, so it's the first one and it's at home. You know, I used to be a kid going to these games and now my dad's going to watch me. and He's going to be in the stands. So it's a blessing. I can't wait for it. Joey Porter Jr. is ready to go for Sunday. Final minute with you here on the Fan early morning show. Steelers prediction. I think the Steelers are going to go 11-6. and Maybe 12-5. and You know what? cuz I picked the Steelers to win the division. I'm going to stick with 11 and 6. That might get it done. I mean, the AFC is so difficult. The Chiefs could tie the Steelers at 11 and 6, and I think the Steelers could have the overall tiebreaker based on divisional record, but I think the Steelers will finish 11 and 6, official record prediction. I like the Steelers this Sunday as well. I don't like them as much with Nick Bosa playing on the other side for San Francisco. But I don't think George Kittle's going to play. And I like the Steelers overall this season. I like what Kenny Pickett brings to the table. His overall abilities as a passer. And the way that he, just the way that he's matured and can run this offense. And if Matt Canada actually allows him to run it the way that we think he can, this team isn't allowed to do great things. I'm Austin Bechtel, Fan Early Morning Show. Didn't get to talk as much Steelers as I would have liked because of that James Franklin news and reaction to last night's game, but I like the Steelers a lot. Um, three things that I want to see. One, can Pickett go out and score a touchdown on, dry- on one of the first two drives? Two, I want to see if Joey Porter Jr., Keanu Benton, play significant time. I want to see how much they get into the game. And three, 24-17. Steelers? Question mark? That might be the official record prediction. I'll probably make one later on on Sunday morning, but excited to see how it goes. I'm Austin Bechtel, Family Morning Show, signing off. The pre-show's next.